Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message. You may have noticed we're still in the round. Uh, Even though we wrapped up our series, um, we really enjoy the setup. So we're going to keep it up just a little while longer at least. And uh, we have found that it helps encourage everyone to stay awake when there's people staring at you <laughs> from across the room. I know that's the case for me anyway. Um, but we actually are starting a new series today uh, on the kingdom of God. And if you've been in the vineyard any amount of time, you've heard us talk about that quite a bit. Uh, if you're new to the vineyard, maybe you haven't. And so uh, what do we mean by the kingdom of God? Just for really... A brief introduction there. Um, Jesus, in his time, probably talked about the kingdom of God more than anything else. In Matthew alone, he mentioned the kingdom of God or some variation of that expression over 50 times. Uh, the kingdom of God is mentioned in the New Testament uh, over 140 times. So a huge emphasis uh, in his ministry on extending and advancing uh, the, the kingdom of God. And so Really, if we want to uh, sum up what we're really getting at when we talk about that, is the kingdom of God is anywhere where the reign and rule of God is recognized, is appreciated, is observed, is, is honored. And so uh, one of the, if not the primary focus of Jesus' ministry was extending the kingdom of God. And so that can mean a lot of things when uh, somebody... Uh, begins a new faith journey with Jesus. They, you know, uh, to use the the expression, you know, here in the South, if you get when you get saved, right? Uh, when you begin following Jesus, you give your heart to Jesus. That is the kingdom of God advancing. Uh, the kingdom of God can also look like just praying for the sick, regardless actually of whether or not they get better. Just even the act of praying for a sick person is kind of you know the, the kingdom of God. Uh, being honored and recognized. Does that make sense? And so we want to have uh, four weeks that we're going to spend talking about the kingdom of God, but how it um, influences, how it uh, defines specific areas uh, in our life. And so today specifically, what we're going to be looking at is the question of identity. All right? So identity. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, and it is your, it's your desire to follow Jesus, and it's your desire to see the kingdom of God advance. How should that influence our view of identity? So culturally speaking, we place a really high value in self-awareness and understanding, right? That's sort of a, a big deal. Uh, we have things like the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and all these other tests and endeavor to help us understand who we are, uh, why we think and feel the things that we think and feel, and why we do uh, the things that we do. And I certainly don't dispute the value of those things. Uh, In fact, I actually think most of those exercises uh, can be really helpful. Uh, I'm a particular fan of the Enneagram. I, I think it's 
It can actually help you navigate some things and understand some things about yourself. But in the context of the kingdom of God or as followers of Jesus, what is our identity? Who are you? Who are you? What does the kingdom of God say about who you are? So the first thing I want to mention uh, actually might be the least comfortable idea uh, that, that, that we might tackle today. In, in this age that we're in of really individualized freedom, and if we're being frank, self-centeredness, you know, in this age where the world kind of revolves around us, or at least that's sort of the cultural waters we're in. It's about us, right? Is that fair? A fair assessment of our, of our time? <clears throat> so... In this area, in this, in this era, I should say, we, we live in those kind of waters. But in the kingdom of God, there is an actual king. That kind of makes sense. What kind of kingdom doesn't have a king? King. In the kingdom of God, there is an actual king. And those that abide in that kingdom are essentially his subjects. And that may be a little... Uncomfortable for some to think about. Nobody wants to be subjected, right, to the authority of another, right? Uh, even if we grow up in church, there's still a little something maybe about that in, in us deep somewhere that is a little resistant to, that, to the idea of us not being the center of the universe. But in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, there is an actual king, and those that abide in that kingdom are his subjects. Now, thankfully, our king happens to be a very benevolent one. That's some good news. A king who prefers mercy over judgment. A king whose laws and guidelines and plans are intended to teach and mold and protect and form us. And they're intended uh, to help us know him better and eventually, hopefully, become more like him. Not every king is like that, but ours is. And so even though, uh, even though that there are, uh, you know, today still obviously places around the world where there are actual kingdoms and actual kings that, that reign over particular areas, um, for me, anytime I'm talking about a king or a kingdom, I still tend to think in terms of like movies, <laughs> like Braveheart and... Lord of the Rings, I'm, yep, that's just, that's just where my mind goes. So if we could do just a little imaginative exercise, uh, if you could imagine we are, or you are, we'll individualize this, you are living in some time long ago, and you have elected, you have decided to live in this particular area that is under the rule of a king. So just kind of think of your little mud hut and you're wearing whatever, you know, animal pelt that you've wrapped around you and you've got your little, you know, stew over the fire and it's cold outside and, you know, just those real, <laughs> you know, desolate out in the outer parts of the kingdom. And so you live in this area that is under the rule of a king. Now imagine that that king has decided to adopt you into his family. 
to make you his son or his daughter and will subsequently treat you as a son or a daughter. That changes the game a little bit, right? See, if we're discussing our identity in the kingdom of God, we need to recognize that we are both subjects and sons and daughters. And it can be both. And it is both. And I think if we're talking about identity in the context of the kingdom of God, we kind of need to hold both of those things. And I think that's a good place to start. So there's a kingdom of God, and there is a king. And as followers of Jesus, we are subjects to the king, but we're also sons and daughters of that king. Are you with me? All right, now, if you have followed Jesus for any length of time, you'll also notice how subversive or upside down his kingdom can be. He says crazy things like, the last shall be first, the first shall be last, completely opposite to, the, uh, to kind of the ideas of today, like Ricky Bobby, if you're not first, you're last. And he didn't mean that in a good way when he said it. So Jesus says these things, he has a tendency to say these things that are completely opposite to, to the culture that we're in or the culture that, of his day, and certainly the culture of our day. And when it comes to, that, to the question of identity, it's no different. The world has some ideas about identity. Uh, Hall of Fame football coach Bill Parcells, football fans in the room, uh, you probably are familiar with this quote uh, where it, when he said, you are who your record says you are talking about his team, or any team, really. You are who your record says you are. And then in 2005, the modern theologian, Batman, <laughs> says this. It's not who I am underneath. <laughs> it's what I do that defines me. It's not who I am underneath, it's what I do that defines me. And to both of these things, I say, not bad, actually. I actually think there is some wisdom in those st uh, statements, and I, agree to, and I agree to a point, but only to a point. To, to Coach Parcells, he's right. Like, no matter how talented your team may be, if your record isn't good enough to make the playoffs, you won't make the playoffs. It doesn't matter how loaded your roster is. You are who your record says you are. And my poor Tennessee volunteer men's basketball team, who is literally having, I'm from Tennessee, forgive me, new people that didn't know that about me. They're literally having one of the best seasons that they've ever had. It's, uh, and it could still end up being the best season they've ever had, but it's inarguably one of the best seasons they've ever had. Had a 19-game winning streak at one point, and through probably the first three quarters of the season, everyone viewed them as the best team in the SEC, in the conference that they play in. And they stumbled a little bit down the stretch, and now they're essentially third going into the SEC tournament. And in my heart of hearts, I can believe if I want to that they're the best team in the SEC, but they are who their record says they are, and they should have closed those games out because the standings say they're number three, right? You are who your record says you are. 
And as Batman said, what you do will define you to a large degree. What you do will define you to many folks around you. That expression reminds me a little bit of another expression. Uh, the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? There is an extent to which it, in some areas, in some ways, it doesn't matter what you want to do or thought about doing, right? Your actions speak louder. We, we can just throw out all the cliches, right? So there's some wisdom to that. There's some truth to that. Your actions will largely define your story. But I think maybe what we need to do is draw a distinction between our story and our identity. I think what we need to do is maybe differentiate those two things a little bit. Story is important. Your story is very important. But maybe we've given it just a little bit too much importance. Culturally speaking, we're pretty obsessed with our story, right? And I get it. After all, our story is kind of the way in which we can stand out. It's kind of the way that we can be interesting. It's kind of the way that we can affect change and influence people and be relevant and be different. Those aren't small things. There's some importance there and so on. But, and, and many of us give some serious time and attention into curia curating our stories uh, on social media, right? Curating our social media presence. So, uh, in some platforms like you know, Facebook and Instagram, they even have you know, a special stories option. So they have their regular feed where you just post your normal pictures or your you know, quotes or your posts and all those things. But, you know, or you can place this in your stories feed. It's, it's a big deal. Story is a big deal in our culture. What's your story? What's different? What's unique? about your story. We are a little bit obsessed with it. But the truth is, as I believe, that while our story can provide insight into who we are, it can also just as easily serve as a disguise or a mask. So your story can provide insight into who you are, but it can also mask who you are. So at its best, our story can illuminate our identity. Our story can illuminate who we are, but it doesn't create who you are. Your story doesn't ultimately define who you are. There's an author and pastor, his name's Kurt Willems, and he put it this way. Until you're convinced that you are valuable beyond your ability to produce anything, beyond security or success, you will constantly be holding yourself and others to a standard that will never satisfy you. I'll read it one more time because he's smart and I like what he said. Until you're convinced that you are valuable beyond your ability to produce anything, beyond security or success, you will... Constantly be holding yourself and others to a standard that will never satisfy you. So if Willems is on to something, more so than Coach Parcells or Batman, <laughs> what actually does define our identity? Seth, can we put up the Ephesians chapter 1, 
4 through 14. So we're going to read a passage that, of course, there's a lot of passages that speak to this. I like this one because there's just a lot. There's a lot in here that points to how the Lord views us. Excuse me. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined for us uh, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the time reach, times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to, uh, to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be uh, for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. Not bad. This passage is loaded. We could all, you know, we, honestly, we could do like a multi-week study just mining this. But I, I just, I pulled out a few highlights for today's discussion. Here are some things that this passage says about us, about you. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> apparently there's more than one spiritual blessing and we're blessed with all of them. Sounds good. (laughs) I'll I'll take all of them. Thank you, yes. We're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Can you think of a spiritual blessing? Okay, it's yours. You're blessed with every spiritual blessing. We are chosen We are, and this may be one of the ones we have most difficulty with, we are holy and blameless in His sight. What? We are adopted sons and daughters by both pleasure and His will. When you read through that, it's easy to kind of skim past the word pleasure because, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like the Lord's affection for me is like, well, you know, he's God and he kind of has to. <laughs> he just, he's just good and he's kind and better than I deserve, which, you know, is also true. But to hear that he has adopted us, not just by his will, not just by a choice of his will, but it was a pleasure to him to bring us in the fold. That stuck out to me this time. By his pleasure and his will, he has adopted us. 
We're redeemed. We are forgiven. We are lavished with grace. Okay, some of you, maybe you've heard some of these terms defined this way. Judgment, mercy, and grace. Judgment, to me, growing up, was always explained as getting exactly what you deserve. And that's not in a good way. <laughs> Judgment is getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. And grace was getting something better than what you deserved. So parents, uh, you know, if you've got a kid and you give them a $5 weekly allowance if they do their chores and your kid doesn't do their chores, judgment was, would be you're going to be disciplined for not doing your chores. Mercy would be, okay, I'm not going to discipline you. Grace would be, okay, I'm not going to discipline you and I'm going to give you your $5 anyway. But this just doesn't say grace. It says lavished with grace. So imagine, okay, I'm going to give you your $5, and here's a new car. <laughs> lavished with grace. That's a little bit above and beyond. Right? We are marked by the Holy Spirit. We have an inheritance. What? An inheritance? Inheritances are the best. You don't have to work for those. Somebody else did all the work for those. You just get it. We have an inheritance, truly, that somebody else earned. And here's something else that's interesting about this passage. There doesn't seem to be conditions here. It doesn't say, here's how I see you as long as, dot, 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 as long as you aren't a bitter person. As long as you're not harboring unforgiveness. As long as you aren't struggling with an addiction to fill in the blank, prescription pain meds, pornography, alcohol. Apparently, those aren't actually disqualifiers. As long as you aren't struggling with your sexual identity, then these things apply to you. I don't see any conditions here. So in Christ, apparently, this is who we are. Okay. So if that's actually the case, why then are we such jerks sometimes? Why do we blow it so badly? Why is it so hard? I don't know. But I have some ideas. Maybe... So many of our failures are a result of us not understanding who we are. Maybe some of our perpetual failures are a result of not really understanding our identity in Christ, who we've been created to be, and how the Father sees us. So let's go back to Ephesians for a second, and let's just pull out a few of these things. So for all these ways that the Lord sees us, there's... There tends to be these kind of counterfeit ways 
where we tend to, how we tend to perceive ourselves. Counterfeit to how the Lord sees us. Holy and blameless. That one's pretty obvious. That one stands out to me because probably very few of us actually feel very holy or blameless. Right? Is that safe to say? Maybe you do. I usually don't. The counterfeit there would be something along the lines of guilt, guilty, shamed. Now, um, this isn't to say that uh, life should be easy. There will be things that happen outside of your control. You will honestly blow it sometimes. Uh, All of us have or will make really, really bad decisions. We'll wound other people, and we should take those things seriously. We should repent. It's okay to feel badly about our choices, okay? That's, that's good and right. Certainly not advocating a flippant ad- attitude towards our sin or towards difficult circumstances. Not what I'm saying. However, what's not healthy is when we get trapped in a cycle of guilt and shame that keeps us from moving forward, that keeps us from receiving the forgiveness of the Lord, or the forgiveness of others, that results in the sort of pity that paralyzes us. That's counterfeit to the kingdom. And it's not how the Lord looks at us. And even further, it also devalues the work of Jesus, the way he profoundly paid for our sins. So repent. Repair as best you can any damage that you've done, but don't get bogged down in guilt and shame. Does that make sense? We're chosen. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, (laughs) have dealt with feelings of rejection? (laughs) Okay, I have a story. Um... Uh, you can probably tell uh, that growing up, just from looking at me, that I loved basketball, (laughs) given my height. Um, And so in sixth grade, uh, I tried out for the basketball team and did not make it and was, uh, did not deserve uh, to make it my sixth grade year. But I worked really hard. Uh, And so my seventh grade year, I had improved, and I did not make the team my seventh grade year, but eighth grade, I also didn't make (laughs) the basketball team, and I honestly felt at that time like I was probably good enough to make the team, but they kind of had their guys at that point, and so I thought, fresh start, ninth grade, keep working, which I did, and so I get to high school. Of course, they have varsity, and even as a 14-year-old, I didn't have such delusion of grandeur to think that was an option, so really hoping more for the JV, which I didn't make, but, but uh, the good news is they had a freshman team, which I also didn't make, so <laughs> I kept working, 
I kept working, and my sophomore year, I didn't make the team. <laughs> I was doing camps. <laughs> I was playing rec ball, right, trying to get some, like, organized, not just backyard stuff, like trying to learn how to play with others, which is important in a team sport. And my junior year, I remember the tryout so vividly. The, uh, the coach was actually uh, my Latin professor. That's a whole other story. <laughs> Took some really bad advice and signed up for Latin. <laughs> and he was also the sponsor of FCA, which ironically I was very involved in despite my athletic failures. <laughs> but I had the fellowship and the Christian part down... So I was around this guy a lot and really, really liked him. And I think he, he liked me as well. And I remember uh, in my junior year in the tryout, uh, specifically, the, one of the drills was like the shuttle run. So they're trying to see how quick you can cut. And I remember him cheering me by name. I don't remember him cheering anybody else. saying, come on, Andrew, you got to make the team. And I thought, well, this is good because he makes the decisions. He's the coach. So if he wants me to make the team, I should be able to make the team. And I didn't. But <laughs> And I didn't try out my senior year. Because <laughs> then it's like, okay, clearly not varsity material. Do I really want to be JV, the one senior on the JV team? Well, I'm doing that. Um, Fast forward to college, and there was this pretty elite uh, vocal ensemble group. Um, and I'll just summarize. I uh, tried out all four years and didn't make it. Um, tried out my first year for the, uh, the fraternity that all my friends were in and didn't make it. But don't get too excited. It's like a Christian fraternity. It's like the equivalent of when people take a really cool song and change the words to try and make it a Christian song. It's kind of like that. It's really kind of lame. But I wanted to be in it, and I didn't make it. I, you know, I've got some pages of rejection. I'm going to... I'll probably... I'll stop there. So the bad news... <laughs> there's bad news, if you didn't pick up on those years. Um... The bad news is none of those things felt great. None of those things felt great. And I won't pretend that I didn't carry some of that rejection in, in certain ways. But the good news is, the good news is, it didn't stop me from going after other things. So while I was not having success in these areas, I was having success in other areas, in track, cross-country, soccer, and theater, and some some other ways that, that I was doing well and finding my place. So, the concern is when you're experiencing rejection, you have to remember that deep down you're still chosen and you can't let the rejection define you. Some of you maybe. Um, your home life 
growing up wasn't great. Maybe you didn't know one of your parents. Maybe you didn't know either one of your parents. Maybe you came up through a system, right? Maybe you are in your 30s, 40s, 50s, or so on, and you still deal with a sense of orphanhood, regardless of what your current situation is. Does that make sense? But what your identity actually is, is you've been adopted into a family. And this is a family. You've been adopted into this family. You've been adopted into into the family of God. And you have brothers and you have sisters. And they can be jerks and they can fail you, right? But you've been adopted by a perfect father who loves you perfectly. And so the truth of your identity is that you're not an orphan. You're adopted into a family. Let's see. How are we doing? Probably should wrap it up. Um, I'll give you a biblical example here. But um, Seth, you don't have to pull the, the scripture up. I'll just uh, paraphrase it for time. Uh, prodigal son. Uh, most of us are probably familiar with the story. There's two brothers, and the, uh, one of the brothers asks their dad for his inheritance early. He gets it, and he goes, and he blows it with wild living. And, of course, you know, he, he bottoms out, and he spends uh, some period of time um, working, like, on a farm feeding pigs, and he's so hungry and so desperate that he even desires to eat from the pig trough, which is not great. Until finally he wakes up and he says, um, you know, my, my father's hired servants do better than this. So he determines to go home and just beg to be treated like one of the servants. And he does and he, you know, begs his father's forgiveness, falls at his feet and, and all that. And his father greets him with open arms. He's filled with compassion, um, hugs him, kisses him and commands, you know, all his servants to kill the fatted calf, and they have a big celebration, and, and doesn't receive him as a servant. He receives him as his son, right? And one of the interesting parts of this story is the older son missed the reunion. He was out in the field, and when he, when he comes near the house, he hears the music, he hears the dancing, and he finds out what's going on. And he becomes angry, and he refused to go in. And he tells when his, the father comes out to him to see, you know, what's, what's wrong. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders. You uh, never even gave me a goat so I could celebrate with my friends. And he comes home. After all that he's done, you kill the fatted, uh, fattened calf for him. And the uh, father says, my son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, lost, and he was found. So there's a couple things I want to draw out really quick. The, the first son, um, what if he had come to his senses even sooner, realizing, that's my father, right? And so, obviously, he should take seriously the choices that he had made but he was laboring under this false belief that his father wouldn't receive him back or forgive him, right? 
So there's that. His failure to recognize his actual identity kept him away from home and in squalor longer than he needed to be. And then the older brother. I think you could say that instead of recognizing his true identity as a person who had been lavished with grace and a person who had his own inheritance, felt overlooked or forgotten or slighted. And where that left him was outside the party that he could have been enjoying just as much as as everyone else. By, By seeing the grace extended to his brother, he had forgotten all the grace that had been extended to him up to that point. Everything his father had was his. His father said that. Everything I have is yours. You've always been with me. He had forgotten his own place, his own identity in the family. And that left him standing outside the party. So at least part of the reason both of these brothers struggled was they had forgotten their actual identity. So... My encouragement to you is to receive. Receive the truth of who you are beyond the story that's been written even to this point. Receive the truth of who the Father says that you are. N.T. Wright, who's one of our favorites, would add this to the conversation. Uh, Descartes, um, who was actually a believer and a philosopher, uh, he coined the very famous uh, expression, I think, therefore I am. N.T. Wright puts a, a slight spin on this, and he says, I'm loved, therefore I am. He suggests it's in the act of receiving and giving love that we are best able to know ourselves. So this is how I would like to to wrap up this morning. I want to speak, I want to pivot back to Ephesians just for a minute. And I want to speak these truths from Ephesians over you. Okay? Um, And ministry team, you you can come on up. Uh, and as we do this, why don't, why don't we stand? And this is how we'll close. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of The Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at The Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.